So this morning, we're just going to completely skip the recap. I hope you were here last week. If you weren't, you can listen to it online because we've got to get moving. So the first scripture we're going to look to as we end our, our, our study in the book of James is James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For what you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So these kind of go hand in hand here, but James is addressing people that make plans without consulting God. Anybody ever made plans without consulting God? I've done that a few times. Hasn't always, well, usually never works out well for me. Um, sometimes God is very gracious, gracious with me when I do dumb stuff. And he, and he, and he makes sure that I don't die or, or destroy everything. But I've, I've been through some stuff because I decided I, I would tell God how it was going to be instead of letting God guide and direct my steps. And this, these are people here that James is addressing, and they're saying, you guys are making plans without looking to God. They think that they've got it all figured out. And I read this, and I'm like, he's, he's talking about me. Because there was, such, there was a time in my life when I figured I had it all figured out. I didn't need God. I was, doing, I, I was successful in, in everything that I did, and I thought that was all me. turns out God has just blessed me in a lot of areas. To, and I look back now, the reason God has done these things is so that I could apply it one day to my ministry. He's put me through different things in my life, but I thought it was just me. Like, I'm, I'm smart and talented, and I figured it all out. And you guys have heard my testimony and know that one day God's like, all right, figure it out. My world went, and just blew up. My life collapsed. But these people here, perhaps they're successful, they're wealthy, maybe they have businesses, they figure they can do it all on their own, and they're saying, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. They haven't talked to God. They're saying, this is what we're going to do in their own wisdom. But James says, you don't know what, what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't, know. don't make plans without God because you don't know what's coming. And me, so many times we go through life making that same mistake. We go through life never asking God what He has in store for us. Never asking God what His plans are for us. What our, we never pay attention to what the calling is on our life. I was just listening to somebody the other day, and I don't remember where, but they were saying that, that to remember each and every one of us has an individual calling on our life. We have an individual purpose. God has saved us for a purpose, a reason. We have something to do. But if we don't listen to God, we can kind of just trample all over that. And the American dream is actually, we face that in the state so much because that, the American dream is just like that. We've, we've already decided what we want for our life, right? We want a, a nice house, a family, you know, the white picket fence, two cars, you know, the whole works. We've got it all figured out. And we've already written our plan because that's what we've been taught since we were children and that's what the American dream was without even consulting God if that's what he wants for us. Maybe God doesn't want you to have a nice house with a nice pickup and two car. Maybe he wants to send you to Africa to minister to those over there. Maybe he wants to send you to South America. Maybe he wants you to send you to another city to plant a church or start some other ministry, but now you're, you're upside down in a house that you couldn't afford because that's the way we're supposed to do it. Maybe you get married to somebody that you weren't supposed to get married to. 
it, it happens when we don't consult God or when, we, when we're doing things for, for our, own, our own way. I, I thank God that, that uh, my wife, because I didn't consult God when I married my wife. I just thought she was hot. <laughs> so, but, but thank God. It worked out for me that, that uh, after some, some God working on her for a while, you know, God had something else in mind. But so many times we marry people that don't want anything to do with God. And we can't fulfill what, what God wants in our lives because they're not on board. That can be tough. It can be very, very hard. And what if we are upside down in a house and we get called to minister somewhere else? We can't sell our house. We're stuck where we're at. When we start to think only of ourselves, we limit what, what we can do for God by these I mean, debt is one of the worst things for your calling because you get wrapped up in those things and you can't do what God calls us to do. And the truth is, is that without God, we are just spinning our wheels. We're like a hamster in a cage without God. All of our accomplishments, they add up to nothing if we don't have God. In Psalm 127, 1 through 2, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. When we're with God, He takes care of us. Amen. And we make sure that we're on the right path. And what we're doing is for Him. But when we, when we build the house on our own, we labor in vain. You see, basically you're doing it for nothing. It's accomplishing nothing. That's why as we move forward as a church, we're constantly asking God for what we want to do. We're asking for wisdom and guidance because I don't want to spend all my time doing something that looks good to everybody else. Or even if, it, if, if somebody else is doing something in another church and I'm like, that looks amazing, if that's not what God wants us to do, then we're just spinning our wheels, even if it was the right thing for them. We want to make sure that we're doing the right thing for us. And the same thing individually in all of our lives. We want to make sure that we're doing the right thing for us, according to God, right? And the truth is, is that doing all these things, planning, is not bad. Getting a nice house with family and car, that's not, that's not a bad thing. I believe that God wants us to be blessed. But it's when we do it without Him that the problems arise. And we don't even talk to him about what he wants for us. And we begin to decide on our own. That's when we, we get into trouble. Because did you know that when you received salvation, it was more than a one-way transaction? You see, the first thing that we recognize is that, that we get saved. And we're like, thank you, God. You died for us. You gave me everything. You gave your life for mine. But part of that is he's not just your Savior, but he's also your Lord. So when he gave you his life, you gave him yours in order to serve him. And it's like Jesus said, one of my favorite things that he said is so simple. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Such a simple thing. If we're going to call him our Lord and Savior, then we need to, to, to listen to what he wants for our lives, what he says for our lives. And the truth is, is we live such a very short time on this earth, especially compared to eternity. Our, our time here is just a drop in a bucket. It's, it's nothing. But we're so concerned about it. And we don't think about uh, our focus for eternity. And we don't think about that this is just a, a small time on this earth. The Bible actually tells you to number your days, to pay attention to how many days you're, you're only given so many to do what God has called you to do. You're only given so many to live victorious. You're only given so many to... to Walk in His power. You're only given so many to do what God has called you to do. 
you're only given so many to exercise your faith. When we get to heaven, you're not going to need healing. You're not going to need faith. You're not going to need victory because all that stuff is already done. It's, this is our time to do those things. And we need to ensure that while we're here, we're living in the will of God. In Luke 12, 16 through 21, it's told him a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. If we're not careful, we can also be so worried about what we're storing up for ourselves. We're, we're, we're so worried about what the, the future holds for us in this age that it may not even matter. You know, I've, I've, I've offered to, to get stuff for people just to be a blessing to them. They, they didn't have what they needed. offered to buy them stuff. And, and they're, they're always like, what, you know, what do you, oh, you don't have to do this. You ever know some people have a really hard time receiving blessing? And it's one of those things, I remember John tells me a story about a, a guy that used to, was he buying you lunch or something, that, that pastor? What was he buying for you, remember? The one where the, the pastor that went with them that said, you don't try to steal my blessing. So he used to try to buy lunch for him. And the guy he worked with was a pastor. And, uh, you know, he, would, he told him, you don't have to buy this for me. And he's like, don't steal my blessing from me. Because it's a blessing to those who give as well. But the thing is, people are like, why do you keep doing this? You know, you don't have to do this. It's only money. It really is. It's just money. You can get more. You can always get more money. But you can't always be a blessing to people. You can't always make an impact in somebody's life. You know, and that's, that's what I want to do. I want to be a blessing to people, be an impact to me. And the truth is, is that every time I do, God blesses me in return. I don't do it for that, but God just continues to, to bless me as I give. The more I give, the more he keeps giving me so I can give even more. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of awesome. Amen. But there's so many people that are so worried about storing up everything for themselves. They're so worried about if I give this away, what's going to happen? If I give this, then I'm going to be without. Somehow we feel like we're going to miss something, that we're going to have a hard life. And the truth is, this is nothing. This is just a small portion of it. And the truth is, if you live in the United States, even if you live some of the worst life in the United States, you still got it better than most people in this world. And when we live like this, when we refuse to give, when we refuse to, to, to live for God, to be a blessing, to be rich in God, when we store everything for ourselves, the Bible says that we're just boasting in arrogance because we figure we can do it on our own because we're doing it all for ourselves. But the truth is that that bottom can fall out at any time. Your retirement account can explode. Just ask people a few years ago when all their money disappeared. Or the truth is, we don't know the day and the hour. When we're every, for every man, there's called the day to, 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 to die, to pass on, to be with Jesus, or, or not if you're not saved. There, but there is a time. You could be storing up everything for nothing. And you, di- you didn't actually use any of the stuff that you stored up. Especially when you could have been a blessing in someone's life or a blessing in the kingdom of God. 
But he says, when you live like this, it's arrogance. Because we're boasting in our own abilities and we're making ourselves to be as God. You may not have ever thought about it that way. But when we decide that we can do everything ourselves, we're making ourselves in our own lives to be as God. To take care of everything because we're not relying on him. We were talking in the men's meeting yesterday about when we pray and, and somebody had said this one time and it kind of you know, cut me to the quick. It hit me pretty hard. But basically, when you, when you live your life without praying, when, when you don't ask God, think of how arrogant you are being. I'm like, man, when I do, when I try to live without being, I'm just being arrogant. I'm just telling God, I mean, my, how big does my ego have to be to think that I can do this all on my own? Boasting in our own abilities. In 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31, it says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. If you want to boast, boast in God. If you want to brag about something, start bragging about what God's done in your life. One, you're recognizing where it's actually coming from. And two, somebody else might see that and say, wow, man, I, I want what they have. God's always moving. They seem to have everything. They always seem to be, to be happy. Even when stuff is horrible, they don't seem to let it tear them down. Even when the economy is crashing around them, they seem to have everything that they need. Even when worlds are falling apart, they're banding together to support and love one another. And they're doing it in the name of Jesus. Boast in Him and what He's done in your life. And you actually kill two birds with one stone. One, you'll be blessed. And two, you might bless somebody else in the process. And the truth is, is we don't know what the future may bring. So there's no point in boasting in something that you can't control. Instead, trust in God who controls everything. And once again, like I said, this isn't about planning. This isn't about, you know, planning is wisdom. This isn't about saving money. You know what? You should save some money too. That's wisdom. So that way if something does happen, you're prepared. But what it is is about keeping everything to yourself and not relying on God for anything. You know, having a little bit of savings account for a rainy day is not a bad thing. But when you begin to save everything because you're worried about the, the world falling out from underneath you, then you begin to trust in that savings account instead of God instead of just being wise in your savings. And then he goes on to say, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. You see, what's happening here is these people should have known better. They, they should have known better. They knew the right thing. They, they knew they should trust in God. They knew they should seek God's guidance. But instead, they, they did it on their own with an attitude of self-sufficiency, and, and I don't need God. They knew the right thing to do, but they didn't do it. So there, what, none, nothing, none of the things that they were doing was actually sin, is the point here. You know, you, you're not going to find, thou shall not save. Thou shall not go to another town and invest in their market. Thou shall not go and, and, and start a business. You're never going to find that. that. That's not in the Ten Commandments, at least not in my Bible. If it's in your Bible, get a different one. Yours is wrong. But there's, there's none of that stuff, none of the stuff in and of itself is sin. But the sin was is they knew the right thing to do and they didn't do it. Instead, they struck out on their own. And he says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Because they knew what they were supposed to do. And it doesn't matter how smart you are, how talented you are, how successful you are, you still need God. 
Amen? You still need God. It doesn't matter. And the truth is, you see all these rich and talented people that are, their life is a mess because they thought they could do it without God. And, and, and if you're not careful from the outside looking in, it's like, man, they have everything that they need. They have, I mean, they got money, they got cars, they got houses, they don't have to work. I mean, you know, we look at these football players and they're like, man, if they, as soon as they get out, they play for a few years, they'll never have to work again. Man, I, wish I, I wish I had that. But their life is falling apart. They have no hope. They have no security. Many of them are wrapped up in drugs. They're wrapped up in all these different things. Their life is falling apart. You start to wonder, is, is all that money, all that fame, was that really a blessing? Probably not, because the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. But the blessing of the enemy, it'll destroy. And we see lives destroyed over and over because they think that they have it all, but they don't. But for us, who knows the right thing to do, we don't want to get wrapped up in that, that situation. We know the right thing. Let's just trust God. And I promise you, if you'll trust God, I always tell people, I'm just going to continue on trusting God because that's been working out pretty good for me. Every time I trust God, it works out good. Every time I don't and tell them how I'm going to do it, I mess things up. And then I have to come back to God and say, hey, can you help me fix this? And I'm so thankful that he's gracious. If you find yourself in a situation where you're, you're kind of doing things on your own, that's fine. Just Repent. And all repenting is, 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 is an about step. You were going one direction, now you're going the other. You were, you were turned away from God, now you just turned back towards God. It's as simple as that. If you've been doing it, just, you know what, just begin to consult God and say, you know what, God, I want you to be involved in this. And he will. He won't even be mad at you. Matter of fact, when you start asking for wisdom, what does the scripture say? That he gives generously without reproach. Amen? I'm never going to make it. James 5. One through three. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted your garments and are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. So James is still referring to these rich people, right? They got it all figured it out. They have it all on their own. And the problem is not with their money. There's nothing wrong with money. Money is an innate object. It has no will. It has no, it's not good. It's not evil. You know, people will say, oh, money is the root of all evil. No, that's not true. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money is just a tool. Turns out we need money. Somebody's, you know, electric bill's got to be paid. The rent's got to be paid. Got to put gas in the car. Money is money. It's no different than anything else. You look at a brick. Anybody think bricks are evil? You can hit somebody over the head with one and kill them, or you can build a house with it. There's nothing about a brick that makes it good or evil, and there's nothing about money that makes it good or evil. It's just a tool. But the problem was with their attitude. They're laying up treasure for themselves. And in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And basically what's happening is, is their heart is in all this treasure on earth. Their heart is wrapped up in all the stuff that they have on earth. And that's where their heart is. 
I've, I've told many of you guys before that you can always tell where somebody's heart is by taking a look at their checkbook. That's, that's all I need to do. To, if, if, I, if you want me to guess what's important in your life, just let me see your bank register, and I'll tell you what's important in your life. You know, if, 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 you have, if you're into to boating, you're going to spend a lot of money on boating. If you're into, if you're into to, to, to hunting and fishing, you're going to spend money on that. If you're, if you're into your family, you're going to see all your money is being spent on your family. Wherever your treasure is, whatever you value the most is where your heart is. That's why they say the last thing on a, on a man to get saved is his wallet. But the heart is where your treasure is, 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 is where your heart is. And here, their treasure was, was here on earth. Everything, their heart was, was invested in everything on this earth. And their eyes were firmly planted inward on themselves and not on the kingdom of heaven. But it says here that you're going to weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you because your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. What he's saying is that your gold and silver is corroded because it's non-eternal. All this stuff is not eternal. You can't take it with you. Even all the people that have tried to have been clever and be, you know, be buried with their car or be buried with money or all these things, it's still in the ground. They didn't take it with them. It was just wasted. It actually could have been used to bless somebody. Instead, it was used to just sit in the ground. You see, the, the, the corrosion, the gold and silver being corroded, the, the riches being rotted and the garments, are that's just evidence against them that they're not worth anything. Instead, we should grab hold of something, that, 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 that unperishable seed that can't be stolen, it can't be rotted away. If you want to store up treasures for yourself, begin to invest in other people. Get people saved. That's a treasure that can never be stolen away from, from us. When we stand before Jesus someday, he's not going to ask, how nice was your car? How many houses did you have? Did you own a private jet? He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you just wrap it all up in yourself, or did you use it to minister to others? Did you, did you share the gospel with others? Did you bring them in? And the scripture says we have a treasure in earthen vessels that we can share. There's more than enough. We shouldn't hide it away or invest in ourselves. Because it says their corrosion will be evidence against you that it's not eternal. But then it says then it will eat your flesh like fire. Did you know that misuse of riches will begin to corrupt a person's character? They will. That's why, you know, when people are, are, are praying to be rich or to win the lottery and stuff like that, that's, that's a terrible prayer. If you're not prepared for that, if, if, you're, if your heart is not already pointed towards God and you're not prepared to deal with that, those finances, it's just going to hurt you. It's not going to bless you. And there's proof of that all the time. So many people that win the lottery are three years later, they're poorer than they were than when they started, except for now they have drug addictions, they have diseases, they have all these different things. Probably in more debt than when they started. Because it wasn't a blessing to them. It just hurt them. It just tore them up. It says, this stuff will eat your flesh like fire because you have laid up treasure in the last days. In Luke 16, 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You've got to pick. If, you're, if, if, if your focus is your money, if, you, if you're serving your money, if that's what's important to you, then you can't serve God because you can't serve both. 
But instead, if your focus is on God, you'll actually find out that you can make your money serve God too. You see, because these men couldn't serve two masters, they had to make a choice. James is saying you have to make a choice. And if you choose this, this is what's happened. You're corrupted. You're destroyed because of where you're storing it up. And the truth is, either way we look at it, we're all storing up treasure for the last days. The question is, what kind of treasure are we storing up? Are we storing up treasure in heaven, the stuff that matters, the stuff that's going to last for an eternity? Or are we storing up treasure on earth, which will just last while the earth remains? And particularly for an individual, it'll last in his lifespan, which is what, about 80 years nowadays? 90 years if you're lucky? I just read uh, recently they did a study and they figured that the, the max age a person can live is something like 118. And there's no way to extend that, no matter how healthy we are, no matter what they do. It's kind of like hard-coded into who we are. That's the age that the max age we can live to is around 118 right now. So at best, you're going to get to use your stuff for 118 years. At best. Which is nothing compared to eternity. One of the greatest illustrations for an eternity that I've ever heard, and, I, and it kind of makes you open your eyes, is, is, is if, the, if there was a, a, a marble, a, a ball of marble, the same size as the earth, and an eagle were flying around this giant earth made of marble, and every single revolution he made, he touched down and he brushed the earth with his wing. By the time that he had worn down the earth-sized marble to a regular-sized mar- marble, they said that's the beginning of eternity. I mean, a, you think, a, a feather brushing the earth one time every time around, once it's worn down to a marble, it's, just, it's not even the beginning of eternity. That's a whole lot longer than 118 years. Where do you want your treasure stored up? Here or in heaven? Because we will receive a reward. Just by being saved, you return, receive an eternal reward, an inheritance. But I also believe that we're going to be honored. The, the scripture says that you will lay your crowns at the feet of Jesus. Some of us are going to have more crowns than others to lay at his feet. Some of us may not have any, and that's what it is. He's going to say, what have you done with, with what I've given you? When you stand before Jesus, it's not in regards to sin if you're saved. Sin's been dealt with. But he is going to want to know, what have you done with what I've given you? Have you shared me with others? Did you bring anybody with you? I think that's what we're going to be standing before him answering those kind of questions. And it's not a numbers game either, just in case you're worried. You know, there, there are people that have massive ministries that God has called them to that. They're going to be responsible for a lot more than I am. But if somebody was called to a massive ministry and only brought 10 people into the kingdom, but I was called to just bring one in, and I bring that person in, then I've, I've done what I was called to do. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But the person that was called to bring in tens of thousands and brings in five might have a problem. It's not, a, it's not about numbers. It's doing what God's called you to do. And the easiest way to do that is just ask him, talk to him about it. He'll tell you. And you might find that as you're successful with a small amount, he'll begin to give you more. Remember the, the parable of the talents. The, the one that had 10, and he, and he multiplied that, he doubled that. He was given from the one that didn't do anything. He was given more. And the, the, the irony is, is like they, they say that if you want to get something done, you find the person that's the busiest and ask them to do it. And then it will get done. 
But if you'll trust God, he'll begin to trust you with more and more. And you're going to have that reward in heaven. That's what we're supposed to be storing up. Not stuff on it. It's just money. And don't worry, we're not receiving another offering today. We already did that. But, it's, but really, it's just money. I mean, you can get more anywhere. I'd encourage you to do it legally. But you can get, you can get more anywhere. But truthfully, we are storing up treasure for the last days. What kind of treasure are you storing up? Matthew 19, 23-24 says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's so easy, too, when we read stuff like this to get hung up on the money. We get hung up on the, oh, if you're rich, you can't get in. The issue is not being rich. There were a lot of rich people in the Bible. Abraham was wealthier than, than we can even imagine. David was extremely wealthy. You know, he stored up all the money to build the, the temple. I mean, that, he's, he's the one that gathered all that. David had plenty of money. That's not the problem. Wealth isn't the problem. It's the attitude of your heart. When your wealth controls you, then you have a problem. You see, Abraham, David, Joseph, when he finally came into being the number two, they, they had so much money, but God had already prepped them. They, their hearts were already for God. It didn't matter how much money they had. They were going to serve God. But if your heart's not right first and you come into money, it'll begin to destroy you. It'll, it'll eat your flesh like fire. You know, just Joseph just came to my mind. I was thinking about it the other day, and I was talking to somebody about it. I don't remember who I told. But I was talking about the idea in this world that, that slavery has got this, this, and servitude, you know, being a servant or a slave has got this awful connotation in this country. And rightfully so. Slaves, uh, particularly the slave trade in this country, and, and really even today we have women being trafficked. and the old, I mean, slaves were treated horribly. So we have this awful negative connotation of what it means to be a slave or to even be a servant. I mean, serving in this country is thought of so terrible. Being submissive, that's thought of as being terrible. Because our view of it, particularly in light of the gospel, because we're called to be servants. We're called to be bond servants. And a bond servant is just a voluntary slave. The scripture says we're slaves to righteousness. And that just puts our hackles up because we don't get it because we think if that's the case, then we're being put in bondage. But that's not what it's like in the Bible. And I think the greatest example of that was Joseph. How many know that in the end, Joseph was the second most powerful man in Egypt? He was, the, save for Pharaoh, he was the wealthiest man in Egypt. Matter of fact, he saved the entire country because he was wise with what he was given. Did you know he was a slave still? Joseph was still a slave to Pharaoh. But he was the second most powerful. That's what it's like to be a slave to God. Yeah, we still are in submission to him, but he takes care of us. He provides. Being a slave to God is, is not about being in bondage and mistreated. It's about being rich and loved and powerful. You know, all of Joseph's power was imbued to him through Pharaoh. Same with us. That's why we're given power to, to, to lay hands on the sick and for them to recover, to cast out demons, to raise the dead. Jesus said, that's why Jesus said that you will do many more miracles than I. You'll do more than I. 
Because His power is, is given to us. His authority is given to us. And we're a slave to Him, but we are in, because of that, we are powerful. He is our Lord and we do what He says, but in walking out in that authority and doing what He says, we are powerful and mighty in this world. And we can make a difference. We can touch people. And that's not even what James is talking about. Praise God. Where am I at? We just need to remember to not be in the same boat as these guys. We just need to make sure that we don't put anything in front of God. It's not just money. Anything you put in front of God, anything that has a control over you, is going to be more important to you than God. So in order to not fall into that position, to fall into that sin, we just make sure we put God first in everything and listen to his guidance in our lives. How do you know if God's talking to you? How do you know if God's telling you to do something? It's actually not that difficult. When you hear God talk, 99% of the time, if not more than that, it's going to sound like you in your own head. He's going to speak to you in your own head voice. Some people hear God audibly. I've never heard God audibly. I've known of people that have. And... uh, I haven't personally, but I've known people that have it. But I can tell you, even the people that have it, it doesn't happen all the time. It's a very rare occasion. But God will speak to you in your, own, in your own voice, in your head. And you say, well, how do I know that's God and not me? If it lines up with the Word of God, it's God. Simple test, litmus test, simple litmus test. If it lines up with the Word of God, it's God. How do I know I'm doing what God wants me to do? You know, I, I, I feel like something's telling me to, 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 be, to be a pastor or to be an evangelist. I don't know if that's God. Well, it's not the devil. He doesn't want you to be an evangelist. If it lines up with the Word of God, it's God. Amen? Listen to His voice and, and move forward in that direction. As long as you put Him first, you're going to be fine. Even when things are getting bad, as long as you put Him first, He'll take care of you and get you through every situation. Amen? In James 5, 4 through 6, it says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. James is still continuing to speak to those same people, the people that, that were rich, that were doing their own thing. And now he's starting to talk about these, these people that are laying up treasure for themselves, and it's obviously not good treasure, at least in the light of the kingdom of God. But not only were they, they rich, and their hearts focused firmly on themselves and not God, but they were mistreating the poor as well. They were mistreating those around them. They were so interested in lining their own pockets that they were committing fraud, that they were stealing, and they probably thought... They were getting away with it. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? There's a lot of people doing that today. Taking advantage of people, mistreating the poor, committing fraud, doing whatever they can to line their pockets. And they think they're getting away with it. And even if they get away with it in this age, one day they're going to have to pay the piper, so to speak. Romans 2, 5 through 8 says this, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each according to his works. To those by patience and well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. 
this is what happens when you stand before Jesus if you're not saved. If you're saved, you don't stand in front of him with regards to sin. It says that, that uh, those who are in Jesus will not be judged, and those who are not in Jesus have already been judged. But you're going to stay. It says they're storing up for themselves wrath in heaven. You know, all these people that are doing awful things in the world today, even if they seem to be getting away with it now, and that's what we're thinking. We're like, God, how can you let these people do these things? Well, unfortunately, they have free will to do whatever they want. But they are storing up for themselves wrath in, in heaven one day. They're going to answer for the things that they've done. If they don't repent and give their lives to God and receive Jesus as their Savior, then they're going to pay the piper. Because they've lived a life of luxury already. They've, they've lived an indulgent, self-indulgent life already. They've had everything. Luxury, indulgence, they've fattened their hearts. They've just puffed themselves up and made everything good for themselves. But it's a passing and temporary pleasure. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26 says this, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. They're, they're temporary. Moses is like, you know what, I got my eye on the prize. I got my eye on the bigger picture. I'm not going to take this small, pleasing time right now and, and trade it in for, for what? An eternity of misery. That's why the scripture says that when people like this, that they've, they've received their reward already. If they're going to live like that, their reward is the, the, the pleasant time they have in this short period of time on earth, but they'll pay for it for eternity. You know, that's why when we see people that our heart should hurt for them, because the truth is we're no different than anybody else before we got saved. We were just in the same boat. We were just as bad. We all did dumb things. But, but somebody reached out to us, and they shared the love of Christ with us. And now we're not in this boat. We get to stand before God without, without sin, pointing to sin at all. That's not even an issue. And that's why our heart should hurt for everybody else. We should be sharing it with them, because if we don't, and they don't receive, this is what they're looking forward to. They're looking forward to wrath. And the truth is, is that God loves, he's a just God. But he does love, that's not what he wants. He sent his son so they didn't have to pay for that. They didn't have to deal with it. And our hearts should hurt for them when we see people. That's why we share, because we don't want them to go through that. Even if temporarily we might think we do, (laughs) if we know them personally. But the truth is, is that God loves them. And if God loves them, then I love them. And that should be something you decide in your hearts as well. Because there will one day, they'll know their folly one day. In Luke 16, 19 through 25, it says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the poor man died and was carried, carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. 
One of these days, these people that, that are just focused on, on the world themselves and money and they're not willing to give their lives over to God to receive his salvation, they're going to realize their folly one day. It's one thing Dean Braxton, which I forgot to announce, he's going to be in, in Tucson November 5th and 6th. It's that weekend of the, the 5th. But he, he died. He died. I think I sent an email out about it. But he, died. he was clinically dead for an hour and 45 minutes. This, isn't, this is documented. There, you can see documentaries on it. You can, you can hear an interview by the doctor that was there. He was clinically dead for an hour and 45 minutes. Came back to life. Now, any of you that have any medical knowledge at all, even if that was possible, but it's at, after an hour and 45 minutes, that's not uh, scientifically possible. And even if it was, he would come back completely brain dead. Because I think it's four minutes without oxygen. Your brain goes completely, you're done. It's out. It checks out. Hour and 45 minutes, he was dead. Documented, is legit. And he went to heaven. And he'll come back and he'll tell you a story. And it's actually interesting because it's, it's quite a bit different than I've heard it described by others. But his big, his big saying is this. He's like, I don't care if people don't believe me. They'll find out. That's always when people argue with him. You'll find out. One day, we'll find out. And uh, the truth is, is that one day they're going to realize their folly. Even if they don't believe. You can't unbelieve something that is, that's a reality. Just because they don't believe in God doesn't mean God doesn't exist. Just because they don't believe in hell doesn't mean that they won't go there. If they don't receive Jesus... That's what we're here for, is to share that with people so they can be saved from that. That is our purpose as a church, is to grow, to reach this city, to bring them in, train them up, and to send them out to do the same thing. That's why we want to plant more churches. The more churches we get out there, the more lives are going to be touched, the more people that will say yes to Jesus, and they'll be saved from this. Amen? But the truth is, God has instructions for the rich man so that we won't fall into that trap. And when we hear rich man, we've we got to stop thinking like piles of gold, Donald Trump type stuff. We are rich. Everybody in this room is rich. We have so much more. I, I've been to Africa. I've been by the, the huts where they're still building their houses out of mud and straw. They don't have electricity. They don't have, they don't have running water. I mean, their bathrooms are literally, for the, for, for the, go, the gals and, and uh, more serious business, there's a hole in the ground. And for the guys, it's a reed wall. There's, no ba- there's nothing. They, they, they still live like that. They don't have anything. We're rich in, in the United States. The poor of us are rich. I mean, even, even the homeless of this city have access to running water at some point. Some of them don't even have that. But here's what God says in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Paul tells, tells Timothy, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And in doing so, it says, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Isn't that interesting that if we take our worldly treasures and we invest them in the kingdom, we invest them into people, we're generous and ready to share and we're a blessing, we're actually storing up heavenly treasure for ourselves? 
Amen. So we didn't make it. But we'll go ahead and stop here. It's a good place to stop, I think. Um, let's go ahead and stand to our feet as we close this evening. But let's, let's be a people who are going to put God first and not money first. Amen? Let's resolve to be a people that will be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You know, one of the, the biggest misconceptions about the church, at least churches that are serving God, is that they just want people's money. Pastor Mike once said, he said, I don't want your money. I want everything. I want your house. I want your kids. I want your car. I want your wife. I want everything that you have to be serving God. But the truth is, is that we don't want it for ourselves. The reality, there's a reality. We've got we to gotta pay rent. We've got to keep the lights on so we can have a place to come together. Amen. But the truth is, God's going to provide whether you give or not. God's going to take care of my wife and I, whether you give or not. I'm not worried about that. But when we ask to give, when we, when we ask people to, to be generous, it's for your account. Because I know what God did in my life, and I want that for your life as well. So take the time and quit putting money first and put God first and see what God will do in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. And that goes for any, not just money, anything that you put first. Let's bow our heads.